1: Well, hello, friends, and welcome to episode 144 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and this podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what I do, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadershipphalanx.com. Now, before I get into today's guest, just want to give you all a heads up. As you've noticed, there's been some minor changes to the show going on, and there's a few more that are going to be coming up here in the future. Uh, first and foremost, um, due to outstanding feedback from you all, um, I'm going to find a way to stick with two shows a week. I know I went down to one uh, last week, but uh, the, the message was clear. You all like two shows a week, so I'm going to do what I can to keep it at two shows a week. So that is definitely coming back, and we'll stay at two shows a week going forward. So you don't have to worry about that again. Apologize. Uh, Kind of wish folks had been a little bit more vocal in the beginning, but hey, that's okay. Now I know how much you value the show, so there it is. Uh, Number two, uh, in the near future, starting with episode 151, uh, having worked with some brand folks and, and uh, doing some diligence with that, uh, the name of the show is going to be changing. The content's going to be virtually identical. But instead of the Burn Command podcast, it's going to be known as the Responsible Leadership Podcast. Again, it's a small wording change, but I'm really hoping that uh, based off the research, uh, that it's going to help make the show better from an SEO standpoint. Uh, with that, you'll notice new intro music as well. Uh, I really hope you enjoy it. And uh, yeah, that's kind of the the future of the show here going forward from episode 151. Uh, one other thing I really want to push here, and then I promise this is the last thing and then we'll get into today's guest, is uh, I use Anchor as my host platform. And one of the things that Anchor allows is for you to give me... Uh, feedback through a voice message. So when you're clicking the link, if you go to the the anchor version, uh, there's a link down at the bottom that says uh, something like leave voice message. If you click that, you can record a live message and it will come to me and I can use that as part of the show. And I would really like to start getting some of those uh, so I can include in future shows. Whatever it is, if you have a question for me, if you have a question that uh, maybe you'd like me to get one of my previous guests to answer, whatever it is, ask it there. Okay, enough. Let me go ahead and get into today's guest and thank you for sticking with me through some of those uh, announcements, if you will. So today's guest is Deb Coviello. Deb is author of CEO's Compass, Your Guide to Getting Back on Track. She's also host of the Drop-In CEO podcast. And I highly recommend you check out her podcast. Uh, I'm going to be a guest on there coming up fairly soon, and I'll let you know when that date hits. But it is a great podcast in general. With 25 years plus in quality and operational excellence roles, Deb has a deep understanding for what's important when it comes to creating solutions for CEOs by assessing the landscape, solving their technical business issues, and elevating their people for a lasting impact and ultimately peace of mind. She is here today to help share a bit of how the CEO's Compass can bring you that peace of mind. Now we have a great conversation coming up here. And I know that I've went ahead and rambled on a little bit here with some of the announcements. So without further ado, here comes the stinger. And on the other side, you're going to have my outstanding guest, Deb Coviello. All right, listeners, welcome to this episode of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and today's guest is Deb Coviello. Deb, thanks for being with us today.
0: I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you for sharing me with your community. It's going to be fantastic.
1: Oh, I I have no doubt. You came very highly recommended. You know, my listeners will remember uh, back in episode 122, I had a discussion with a lady named Meredith Bell uh, that my listeners loved, and uh, she talked glowingly about you, and it just so happened I'd booked you about a day or two before she recommended you. So I'm very excited about this, and I'm very excited to start you off uh, where I start everybody. And I'm curious, when you hear that phrase burden of command with everything that you've been through that you've done what does that mean to you
0: so i love this question and you did give me um a reason to think deeply but what resonated with me as i thought about that, is a phrase that i'll use uh as i describe the work that i've done and it's clarity amidst chaos Because so often, and this is maybe why people gravitate towards me, I'm often dropped into situations where there's a lot happening. People are running in a lot of different directions. Information is flying. And when I assemble people, it is my responsibility to provide clarity amidst chaos. And people have told me that, Deb, you are so calm. You hear what we say and then reframe it so we all say, yes. That's the problem we need to solve. Now, I may look calm, but underneath, there is a lot of tension and stress and urgency to bring clarity to the team so they can do the work that they need to do. That is the burden of command for me.
1: Yeah, no, I love it. And, and, you know, that I, can see where folks would get that feeling because it just you know listen to you talk right now it's very calming very soothing it it almost reminds me i don't know if you've ever heard this comparison before but it almost reminds me of that that kind of pilot's voice uh (laughs) and that's exactly the reason they talk that way right
0: yes you know That also is the burden is that we need to show strength and calm because people will mirror the behavior of those that they see. And if the leader is in chaos, they will respond, you know, scurry, hurry to be activity based, but they could be wasting so much energy and you need that calming voice to level set the playing field so people are all on the same page and then they can be creative and thinking about what if and how to solve the problem at hand, and then they go off and do the work that they're meant to do. But if the leader is a fireman or firewoman, and hurry and just chasing things, people are going to do the same thing. And it's going to be so much more difficult to get to the positive outcome that you're looking for. So being steady is a sign of leadership. It is hard. (laughs) And just have a support system for which you can kind of then let it go. But you have to be strong for your people.
1: No a hundred percent and and that is uh you know listeners, I hope you took that to heart because you know it's true you know my background into marines uh one of my friends uh, who's been on the podcast uh Richard Ryerson uh from the dose of leadership podcast uh you know he's a pilot former active duty marine itself uh you know what what you're saying here resonates deeply with me because that was exactly you know what they taught us uh, as as part of that type of leadership right is if you are what you just said, if you're running around crazy in the heat of battle, the people following you are going to react the same way. If you're calm, cool, collective, and you give that even if it is an error, now you don't wanna you don't wanna be Pollyanna ish about it, but you, you you keep them grounded and so their training can kick in, what they know can kick in and all of a sudden that that task at hand just doesn't seem quite as terrible, right?
0: You know, I'd love love to pay respect to, you said something about the military. The military is a noble pursuit because it does teach you such life skills. And, you know, both my husband served in the Air Force, my son, who was in the Army National Guard now in the Army, when they are in a public place. And again, public places, we should not fear, we should not be concerned, but often when we'll go into a restaurant, my husband and son have the same thing. They will sit facing the door and they're calm, cool, and collect. And I don't understand what they're doing, but I'll see them sometimes just looking around. It is that radar being up and aware of the circumstances of what could happen, even though there's nothing in arm's way at the moment, but they are calm, but they are slightly on edge inside because they're keeping their eyes open, ears open to what could be.
1: Yeah, no, I chuckle when you mention it, because that's exactly what I do as well. And, and <laughs> I had I had a friend that I would do a lot of travel with, and, and he would he would every once in a while on purpose try to beat me into the restaurant and take the seat <laughs> he knew I would want, and I would just pick a different table so I could get the seat facing the door. <laughs> like you, you know how this works, Guy, come on. Uh, um, yeah. But yeah, so no, I, I love that. I mean, and and because it's true, right? I mean, it's it's about staying aware and in businesses, uh, you know, it, it's that same thing. You have to be aware of what's going on in your business. You know, you have to be watching the door. So a competitor or, or the market or, you know, this new invention or even the pivot point that your business should be taking doesn't go unnoticed, right?
0: you know and and i love what you talk about and those are the kinds of leaders that i gravitate towards so you know i am a business consultant i am the drop-in ceo but the perfect leader that I work with is that one that is has that self-awareness. They know ahead or they can see the writing on the wall if I don't do something different. Uh, the great team that I have may not be able to be great in the future. And so great leaders are, to your point, the ones that see the writing on the wall, they see the change in condition. Customers are looking for different requirements and they're just slightly one step ahead. And those are the perfect people I love to work with because they're visionary. They are true leaders because they know sometimes I need an external support to be able to navigate to what may be in the future. So um, love leaders like that.
1: Oh yeah. Well, now let me ask you this. So when you go in and you don't run into a leader like that, uh, how do you get them kind of on board with that mindset?
0: Oh, that's that's a tough one you know it's interesting I've met leaders that are already of the right mindset that's why it's a match made in heaven when I come into some leaders that say Deb I need your help I need a, a strategy for the future because I'm running you know I'm a firefighter every day and yeah we'll come together we'll workshop we'll uh, put together plans and then they allow themselves to be um, fall back to the daily grind because and then they find they don't have time to be a strategic leader versus leading in only the moment, they are hard to change. they have to decide to change themselves. And I'll I'll mention a quick story. Again, I did have a leader I was working with, love him, love him, I mean, a heart of gold, but they would always fall back to the reactionary leader. And then they had somebody working for them. They were a specialist lower in the organization, but they said, I want to learn from you because I was also going to help develop their leadership and what tactically they were going to do. But they said, help me, tell me what you see. what am I doing wrong? What could I do more of? They were asking the right questions because they knew they were already good and they needed a little bit of extra help to get, uh, get along. A leader first needs to work on themselves and be aware enough to ask questions. What am I already doing? well? What could I start doing that could increase what I'm already doing well? Or what do I need to change? Because maybe it's detracting. Unless a leader already has a self-awareness and a drive for personal growth, I have a lot of challenges trying to change that leader.
1: Mm. No, I I love that because it's true, right? And I think that's where some folks really... Um, really run into issues is when they try to force those changes on somebody. And like you said, they have to want it. Um, You know, it's, it's, I I come from a family that has some addiction type issues uh, of various types. Uh, Luckily I don't have any myself, at least that I've found knock on wood. Um, But you know, that's the thing, right? Is they, they've tried all the programs, they've tried all of these types of interventions and the only ones that have had any success of controlling their addictions is when they reach that point where they want it. And, and, and I think that's an important piece of, of leadership development is identifying those people that actually want to be a leader for the right reasons versus people who just want to be promoted for the corner office or the corporate car or whatever that is, right?
0: You know, I can weigh into that. Again, I am, you know, generationally I was brought up as, because I did work in corporate for about um, 30 years. And yes, my value was based on physically what did I earn as well as the title and how much command I had. And again, I taught um, my leaders, you know, I, I did my job well. But it wasn't until the end of that last role that I had before I started my business with Illumination Partners that I realized I can best serve, not by me doing the work, but I had a lot of smart people around me, but I can best serve by elevating the impact of the people around me. And through that realization, I realized I had a knack and a skill for coaching and finding the gifts that people had, putting them in the right positions, removing barriers and let them soar. That ultimately elevated the impact of my organization, which had been in the number four position out of four regions. And when I changed my leadership style, I had to do my own personal development and realize what I could do good for others. That's when I moved to the number two position. and the. People people that around me started getting the recognition they deserved because they were great subject matter experts and i can even say most of them actually moved on to different roles because they were starting to come into their own that's so much of what i write and talk about is the inner work of a leader and again it's not self-care and getting a massage certainly that is helpful but you need to pause and reflect and think about what kind of leader do i want to be and work on yourself first and grow and then you're better to serve others and grow them
1: oh i and again i love that you know i um for my listeners some of them are are familiar with what these shields are and some of them uh learn about it new, uh, during the episode, but at the leadership phalanx, I talk about these shields of the phalanx. And, uh, you know, one of those is be a power broker. Information is power. And I think that's a lot of what you were talking about here is, is share that responsibility, empower those folks to be able to contribute and learn and grow. Right.
0: You know, you are speaking to my heart right now because I'm glancing over at my book, The CEO's Compass. And again, it's while I did title it towards a CEO, because a CEO or a senior leader has to do some personal development before they can lead their teams a little bit differently. But so much of this work is how can I get it in the hands of others that you could be an emerging leader, highly talented person, but maybe hit a barrier, you've lost your confidence, or a mid-career professional that says, I could offer so much more, or the CEO that's maybe off track. I put a lot of what I have found has worked for me when I didn't have a compass or a mentor and put it in the book. Put it in the way when I speak and having the opportunity to speak to your audience right now. If we can just elevate one person at a time with a tip or trick to be more visible and have higher impact, that is the work I'm meant to do. If somebody wants to also bring me in and and compensate me for that, all the better.
1: Oh no, I love it. Well, let's talk about that book for a second. Sure. Uh, the CEO's Compass: Your Guide to Getting Back on Track. Now, I think you just kind of mentioned it a little bit there, but. You know, uh, what was your, you know, really, what was your inspiration for the book? And what is it that you really hope that somebody who, who reads the book takes away from it?
0: So... I'll tell you the truth. It was one of those things. Um, sometimes you call entrepreneurs or business owners ADD. I was all over the place when it came to putting my content out on LinkedIn, YouTube, etc. I was talking about all of these leadership insights and stories and lessons that I've learned, but it wasn't distilled into a single message. So I started working it. I created a house with a foundation and pillars, a visual to say, "Hey." This this is the way we need to lead differently and i even had some unique insights about you know we talk about people process and tools but by the way we forget about the past and culture of the people on your team we talk about pride which is their intellectual property and their gifts i had to distill this down into something that says oh that's what deb is talking about but then with time and reflection i says you know a compass House doesn't resonate with a CEO, but a compass does. You can see it. You can feel it. It's that thing that gets you on track. You're not going, you know, a hundred miles the wrong direction, but sometimes just a little bit off track. So the CEO's compass is really, it starts with the development of the leader. I talk to the leader who's reading the book about what they're thinking and what they're going through. And then I provide them the best that I can offer in terms of the few things they may be off track, whether it's people or process or purses, purpose or pride. There's, there's eight P's in all, but ultimately it's not about getting a result. It's about getting to your true north and peace of mind, which is a very emotional state and only leaders know it when they get there. I had to get that in writing and get that message out there because I think that's really the difference between true leaders that align people across a common cause and truly achieve the results they want because they're focused on peace of mind, knowing that everybody is aligned together. That's why I had to write the book, and I hope that people that value that perspective will read it or pass it to somebody they know that needs a compass.
1: No, I love that, and, and I love the the kind of shift from from the house to a compass because a compass, you know, like a house is stable, right? Like it doesn't move that much, but a compass, it shifts, right? It's all over the place, and, and, and I think that's kind of what we've been talking about a little bit of already. But you know as a CEO even as as a quote general team member you got to be aware of those deviations on the compass to be able to get back on track as you mentioned so i really do like the fact that you you ended up at a compass instead of a house for those reasons because and i'm sure you have ran into it i've i've seen too many times where a leader they they have a path set out before them and it's it's damn the torpedoes this is where we're going we're not deviating and they never really sit back and realize that whether they intend to deviate or not, these deviations happen and you have to course correct, right?
0: And that's exactly it. And again, somebody that's looking for a quick fix, mind you, I actually have a lot of tips in there that if you make a couple changes, you actually can see some immediate uh, impact in how the people you're leading um, are showing up. So, It is so important uh, because so often leaders will want a quick fix, I will pay for a consultant, I'll buy their five-step program and try to fit what they do into one's approach. And I give the power back to the leader. It's almost like one of those mystery books that like, oh, pick your own path. But really it is meant for them to say, you know, where do I feel off track? Because I think they probably know how to fix things themselves, but they never take the time to pause and reflect. I even in some of the chapters say, don't go to the next chapter, I want you to stop. Because we are rewarded for just constantly doing versus a leader has to stop and think. And I did that once. I was not leading very well, I was very activity-based. And when I paused and reflected about why was I leading and how was I leading, I delivered a presentation to senior leadership that spoke about my why and my how and who I was as a leader. And only at the end did I talk about the technical deliverables and the leadership didn't appreciate that. You didn't spend enough time on what you were going to do, but people took me aside afterwards and said, we need more leaders like you who pause and reflect and think differently. So the greatest power I give is back to the leader. Think about who you are as a leader. Do that personal work. And along the way, I'm going to give you some ways of how you can show up and be the leader your people need you to be.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, I love that. And and I think that is a, an extremely brilliant strategy uh, to, to put that in the book, to, to get people to stop and, and put the brakes on and uh, take that time to reflect. You know, I, I was, well, I've worked with a couple of leaders like this, but I was working with one in particular who every time we taught, he was reading a new book, just every single time. And he he asked me at one point, in time, he finally said, you know, if you could give me one piece of advice, what would it be? I said, stop reading. And he, he looked at me and, and he's like, but, but you know, you got all these quotes. You talk about all these books that you've read. Why would you tell me to stop reading? And I said, just exactly what you said. I said, you're not reading. You're consuming. You don't stop to figure out what this means to you. You can't read a John Maxwell book. You can't read a Deb Coviello book and do what Deb says or do what John says just because they say it. You have to stop and figure out how that fits your leadership style and how you can apply it. Otherwise, it's not authentic. People know you're just regurgitating something you read. And so I love the fact that you did that. And I love the fact that you you call people out, stop, Think about this before you move on to the next piece. That's, that's just brilliant.
0: You know, thank you for that. I, I also want to share a little bit about, you know, yes, it's good to quote other people. Again, it's good to be well read. You do need to fill your minds with alternate thought. But if you're filling your mind with other people's stuff when then can you unclutter your mind and have your own independent thoughts so in my book I I have a few quotes actually from just people in my network but all the quotes primarily are from me Because over time, as I gave myself time to think, or I wrote a blog post, I would put something in writing and it's like, oh my, that snippet is really good. And I would put that out into the world and people would, it would resonate. So why not be the person that creates the thoughts, then regurgitating the thoughts of others?
1: Mm. No, I love that. I love that. So one of your chapters that is of particular interest to me, because I love to inject history into the things that I do, uh, Mm -hmm. But the title stuck out to me, chapter five, uh, The Past. Skipping the Past is a Recipe for Failure. Uh, Why did you feel that that was important to include in the book?
0: Because I failed. I have failed exactly on failing to understand the past, as well as learning that lesson and leveraging it as a powerful tool. So let me start with the failure, the past. I was in a high performance leadership training program. I was seen as future leadership. They sent me to a course. The exercise was to be a leader to solve a problem with several people on your team. So as leaders do, we roll up our sleeves, we get everybody organized and we start solving a problem. And then the trainer came in and says, now you're going to stop what you're doing leader. You're going to move from room a to room B and pick it up from there. I said, okay. So I was action oriented. I moved to room B. I asked just a couple quick questions. Where are we at in the problem solving? And I proceeded to start troubleshooting and getting us to conclusion. And there was one person in the room that sat back and didn't talk and he disengaged. Now we got to the end of the project. I solved the problem with the team, but when we debriefed, we had an opportunity to get feedback from the team members. And that one of the team members on team B that I went to, to pick up where we left off, he said, I said, you know, how did I do? And he said, you shut me down. I said, what are you talking about? I said, Hmm. you shut me down. I said, I didn't know you. I didn't know where you were coming from and I couldn't contribute anymore. So I shut down. And so the failure in that was that I didn't take the time to get to understand the people in the room. And this is symbolic of what leaders do. We will come into crises, situations, and acquire people. But if we don't take the valuable lesson of one, just paying them the respect to understand who are they, what are their skills, what do they bring to the table, what are their thoughts, get everybody grounded, and then you roll up your sleeves, maybe a little bit delayed, you took a little time, Then I could have brought everybody forward with me. Instead, I shut people down. Mm. So I didn't acknowledge the past, which is representative of the culture, getting to know people and who they are. Lesson learned. (laughs) (laughs) Fast forward. Being part of a multinational organization, one of our growth strategies is to acquire other entities to build out our portfolio. I was in a global flavor company and we acquired another flavor division and there was a sense of urgency. We had to get them on to our systems in one year. So it was very much being read as a technology project, but I said, wait a second. I don't even know the people that are coming onto my team from these acquired entities. I need to go see them. I need to understand what they do, what made them so successful for which we acquired them, what was really good about the culture and what they did. And then when I met the people, I also realized they didn't have enough resources to go through the integration because people left the company. I got to understand their skills. So in all of that, I brought people on board versus just uh, treating them as an asset to be integrated into technology solution. And what worked in the end was when we rapidly had to bring them on and we were going through a lot of chaos, they were resilient and responded and leveraged the resources, the network and the relationships we built. So we never impacted the customer from a quality perspective, which was my area of responsibility. And the rest of the teams that brought people on, but only focused on the technology, they failed the customer miserably from a service perspective because we had IT problems and people just didn't know who to turn to. But because I cared about the people on the team I had their back, I took care of them, and I respected them. They responded to any situation. We jumped through hoops, we solved problems. And it's because we took the time to get to know their past and their culture that I built a cohesive team, and we had no impact on the customer. That is the value of respecting the culture and the past of the people that you have to work with.
1: Mm, no, I love that story. And I'm just curious, when, when you say culture, are you talking about just corporate culture or corporate culture and there, wherever it is, like like whatever country they're in, that culture as well?
0: <laughs> the United States has many different cultures. I was positioned in the good old Midwest, Cincinnati, Ohio. There is one culture in that part of the, uh, <laughs> in the U.S. And then there's the Eastern culture that we were integrating a plant on the East Coast of the United States. So there's just different ways of communicating and building relationships. You certainly have to understand that. But what made this site special was everybody had everybody's back. They communicated, they went to the production floor. They were just roll up their sleeves. We're going to solve this problem today. Each person intimately relied on relationships and working physically next to each other side by side. Whereas the, mother, the mothership didn't have that connectivity. They were very much behind emails and Zoom calls and didn't have those relationships built. That's the kind of culture that I leveraged and played into. And they, too, then connected very well and even evolved us. They, it's just you have to understand what made them so special and successful to begin with. That's the kind of culture I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, it's, you know, I've worked with some folks who have, have done international uh, partnerships as well. And one thing that has kind of, you know, set them off on, I'll say, the wrong foot is, you know, what you just said, right? Yeah, sure. From from one side of Ohio, I grew up in Tennessee. I grew up in Northeast Tennessee. And, you know, people don't understand there's a reason we got three stars on our flag because East Tennessee, Middle Tennessee, and Western Tennessee, completely different experiences with, with people. I mean, it, all Southern hospitality, sure, but just completely different backgrounds. But you know, they, the one talking internationally here, uh, they didn't take the time to get to know like Japanese culture and made some cultural faux pas early on uh, that kind of hurt the relationship in in the beginning. And uh, so, you know, I I think that's an important piece as well, right?
0: It is so critical because I also was part of a multinational organization where overseas, We had to shut a plant down in Ireland and transfer the products to a Netherlands plant. And the interested party in between were the creative center, the R&D facility in France. And so I was dealing with Irish culture, French culture, and the Netherlands culture. And the one culture didn't trust the other to preserve the integrity of the product. They were against the move. And so we needed to actually physically go there face to face. They valued the face to face connection. And then we shared with them what we were going to do to allay any fear that they had. So we were building confidence. They were very relationship oriented versus simply executing. And once we got their trust, the transition was a lot smoother.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so one of the other points, uh, that you talk about here, and, and I really, <laughs> I'm glad you pointed this one out here as well, uh, because I think this is, if I had to pick, uh, the number one downfall for most organizations, especially for most leaders, uh, you use the word, uh, pride. I usually use the word mm. ego, uh, mm. but you know, we're, I think we're talking about the same things here, the intersection mm. of humanity and intellectual property, pride and ego, are just, they're they're big killers, right?
0: You know, this is, you, you got me thinking on my feet here. So ego, so why, ego has a negative connotation, but how does one evolve an ego for which people say, oh, they just have an ego? Mm-hmm. And I beg to differ that an ego comes out of people failing to look at the pride compass point. And I say humanity and intellectual property, because we're all humans we have to start by just saying, tell me about yourself tell me about you know what is it that you did in the past again a little bit of the culture element but what were those things that you created what did you create these amazing spreadsheets with all kinds of functions in it that i can't even do myself that hey we used in the past and it was an, an efficiency improvement but i don't even know about that now you know right now maybe you're a subject matter expert or i was told to have you on the team but i didn't know you were the one that created a patent or maybe you were the one that started up that particular function because hey I was given the subject matter expert I'm going to use you for the asset and resource that you have now but when I look at your intellectual property that gift and that thing that made you special I've elevated you as a human so now I'm building a relationship that maybe I might need to tap into it and give them the respect so there's no longer an ego but one of pride like okay yeah I, I did some pretty cool things back in the day you build the trust they're more open to sharing. And from a business perspective, if we talk about subject matter experts, you know, from a business perspective, they're just a commodity. If one leaves a company, I can get another subject matter expert. I just have to pay a little extra money. But at the same time, if you say, you know, they have intellectual property, ooh, you know, from a technology perspective, oh, we got to get a patent on it. Oh, we have to monitor that. Oh, we have to document that intellectual property because that's our competitive advantage. When we think about people's knowledge as intellectual property, it raises the respect for the people. We can use them to train others. We celebrate it, bring it forward, and when we recognize that pride, that compass point, people will align versus resist.
1: Mm. No, and I agree hundred percent on ego. It's exactly you know what I say there because you know when you look at the definition of ego, it, it it's not there's nothing negative about it. It's a person's sense of self-esteem or mm-hmm. self-importance, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, they did a uh, they did a psyche valve on on pilots, uh, fighter pilots. Uh, I think this started in Vietnam, and I think it's continued to today. And what they found out is. To be a successful pilot, you had to have this mix of being kind of an A-alpha type personality and being a team player, because you had to believe in yourself enough to know that if you had to go one-on-one, you could, but you had to be humble enough to know that that's not the only way to go. You had to be able to function in a team. And, and, and so what I love about that is, is you know, we're we're speaking the same language, you know, uh, people need to have that self-confidence to know that they can go into a situation that they can rely on themselves but they really have to have that self-reflection that humility as you talked about to be able to identify those things that you just mentioned and uh, so no i i love that completely what you just had to say there
0: you know, I'll go into the next thing is like, I hate waste. I have been trained as a lean operational excellence professional and wasted time when we have to rework, re, retrain people. We have to recommunicate the message. The person comes into their office, shuts the door and says, can we talk? That is all a waste of time. And so, That's an expense it takes away from your bottom line. But when leaders need to say, you know, I'm going to take a little extra time, I'm going to continue my investment. We hire people, we invest in people, but they need to continue to invest in anybody, whether they hired them or they acquired them. We need to understand that ego (laughs) or pride that makes them special.
1: Yeah. No, I love it. You don't happen to know the name Mark Deluzio, do you?
0: I do not, but...
1: Oh, no, I was just curious when you mentioned Lean. He was a gentleman I had uh, on here many, many episodes ago. Uh, he had the good fortune of, of uh, learning Lean uh, from the founders of, of the concept, the Toyota production system. And he's done a lot of training on Lean. So I was just kind of curious if we had yet another uh, past connection here. But... Uh, uh, yeah,
0: it's a great leadership tool. Every leader should at least get some basic introduction, whether it's lean methodology for operational efficiency and eliminating waste. There's also Six Sigma, where how can we just eliminate the variability in our processes or eliminate defects? Because again, at the end of the day, it takes away not only from, you know, the profits of a company, but it just attracts from human Capability. <laughs> yeah. So all very helpful should be another tool in your toolbox.
1: No, I, I love it. I love it. Um, so when you run into these organizations, when you 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 go to work in these uh, uh, with these leaders, um, how do you typically find their leadership development programs? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably oh, the answer wow. I would give too. I like. I mean, that.
0: I would like to put them in two buckets because I have went, worked in big corporate and I, I see a couple things. So big corporations have money and assets and resources to say and do leadership development. They have money to send people out. They can bring trainers in. They have these wonderful systems that shows, you know, personal development. And so they look like they've got it nailed where I see big corporations. Um, and I hope I'm answering your question, fall short of leadership development is they don't provide the mentorship because you can only learn so much by an experience or an event. But if there are new skills or behaviors that need to be bred into the people, it lacks the longevity or sustainability of those learned uh, skills. So they're missing the mark in mentorship. And that's kind of where I fell short is that, yeah, I went out for training. I was very a very good subject matter expert, but there was nobody to model the right behavior or give me courses corrections for which I I talk a lot about feedback failures. So big corporations, they look like they got great leadership development, but I say that they still have some opportunities to improve. And again, there are some amazing companies that do it quite well. The smaller, medium-sized companies don't have a budget for leadership development, and I do go in and see that they're very much in the day, but what they have that the big companies don't is they have a strong culture of having one's back, and they're very relational because there's not a lot of hierarchy. They depend on each other. They have each other's back. Again, that's speaking to the military. You have to depend on each other and wear each other's hats. So there is great leadership in the relationship ability and making sure that can-do attitude, where sometimes the big companies, you can hide behind that. What they do miss, however, is to take it to the next level. As the company is growing, they now have to think more strategically because things are starting to get out of their control, a pandemic, a change in a customer requirement, a supply chain issue. They are not necessarily equipped to be able to prepare themselves for changes that haven't happened to them yet. So they need some help with strategic planning. And I don't see that often done in the medium sized companies. So there's a leadership development in, in eight, in the culture that has evolved. But they too could use a partnership, again, whether it's your services, mine, or others, to come in and say, now let's take the next step. Let's build a roadmap. What does the future look like? So you can start planning ahead to get there. That leadership development is often missing at the medium-sized level, so.
1: Yeah, no, that that's exactly right. You know, because I, uh, I keep quoting this statistic. It's from uh, 2012, and I and I really have looked and I can't see if they've they've done a follow up. I wish they would. Uh, but Harvard Business Review published a uh, an article back in 2012, and it was a global study that they did, and they had about 17,000 respondents across the globe. I can't remember how many countries they hit. It was I think 20 or so different countries. Uh, But essentially what it boils down to is they found that there was about a 10-year gap from the time somebody gets promoted into a formal leadership slash management role before they get formal training to be able to lead (laughs) slash manage people. And that means they're getting a lot of on-the-job training, right? And, and what we know, doing what we do. And I agree with you, uh, whether it's your services, my services. It's one of the things I love about this space. Like, yes, we're competing for work, but uh, there's a lot of help here because you know that maybe your way doesn't work for everybody. My way doesn't work for everybody. And, and, and we want people to find that because we truly want people to have success. That's why we do what we do. But we know that most organizations don't have people at that C-suite level that have the ability to fill that 10-year gap and provide those skills successfully, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I was promoted into a role where I was, you know, a quality leader in an organization and I was brought into a conversation and I spoke my mind and it was a dissenting view and it was not met with favor (laughs) i was pulled aside by my boss later on says you shouldn't have said that and the thing was is okay so I was deflated in the moment okay I said something and the negative effect was I was simply I went quiet I stopped expressing my opinion what was missing there was you can have dissenting views but they didn't mentor me in the art of you know if I had a differing view going in good leadership is having open conversations discussing the differences finding points of alignment and consensus and then identifying what the gaps are oh my you know it took me another 10 or 15 years to understand and that's not politics, but it's understanding who are the interested parties to discuss gaps or difference ideas in order to be able to move forward. I didn't get the mentorship to say, thank you for your thought, but there might have been a different way to position it. So leaders, and this is what I talk about in the CEO's Compass, it's that corporate uh, destabilization topic. Promote people, but evolve them as they're growing in the job, the on the job training and the mentorship to say, how did that work? You might want to try that. That becomes what a leader's role is, is to evolve one's leadership as they get the responsibility and grow into the leadership role they're meant to be.
1: Yeah. No. Well, that is a great segue because I love to, uh, whenever my my friends, Tom and Karen Schwab send me a guest uh, from Interview Valet, I love the one sheets that they put together. And there's always one question uh, that, that they put as a potential interview topic that piques my interest. And, and you segued into it superbly. Uh, but it's, it's the last bullet point. It, it says feedback failures, three simple words to get a better outcome. So, with, with your story kind of as a backdrop, what are those three simple words to get a better outcome?
0: In the context of feedback, one should ask the question what should I continue? what should I start and what should I change? Mm. Continue, start and change. Because the feedback failure comes from the person seeking feedback. Hey, how am I doing? From their respected leader. Hey, you're doing just fine. How's that report going? You can't answer an open-ended question like that and get anything actionable. But, as a leader up and coming, you can ask smarter questions. And when I say, what should I continue? That puts the onus on the leader to say, oh, well, you're doing this well, meaning that's one of your superpowers. That is the affirmation, the positive feedback of what I'm doing well. What should I start doing? Start, again, you're asking a very specific question, putting the onus on the leader to come back with a response. What should I start doing speaks to, you know, you're already doing public speaking well. What you might want to start doing is practicing in front of a mirror to see your body motion and, and, and have more open body language to enhance your already amazing voice. Okay, that's actionable. I can start doing that and enhance what I'm already doing well. And then the final thing, what can I change? What can I change? Again, requires a specific response that is, if I don't change it, it can detract From what I'm already doing well. So maybe I say, um, and ah, or I'm always looking up at the PowerPoint versus my audience. It draws people away from the seriousness of what you're trying to share with them. So you speak well, you might want to look in a mirror and have your hands wide open to further enhance the strength of your message. But make sure you keep an eye and not be watching the PowerPoint too much and be looking at the people. If you do those three things, you're going to be an amazing trainer. So continue, start, or change.
1: Mm. No, I love that, I love that. Um, So before we work on closing out here real quick, uh, you have your own podcast, Drop-In CEO. Uh, Can you share a little bit about that podcast with folks real quick?
0: I am so excited about that. It is my opportunity to meet amazing leaders, be inspired, get some insights for them in the area of leadership, personal development. And I have the great honor of bringing those leaders to my audience. Again, they're CEOs, senior leaders, or people that have amazing stories and their work is not what they do, but also how they elevate people along the way. So drop in CEO podcast insights and inspiration from industry leaders. I love meeting people and sharing those conversations with others.
1: No, it's, it's a great show. I've, I've only had a chance to listen to a few episodes, but it's outstanding. And folks, uh, definitely go check it out. I'll have links to that in the show notes. Uh, well, Deb, we're coming up on about 45 minutes or so here, and it has been an outstanding conversation. Thank you for having it with me and uh, my audience today.
0: So, uh, I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. You are so easy to speak with and the people that you work with, um, should be grateful for the work that you can do with them and for them. So I just sincerely appreciate getting to know you and your audience.
1: Oh, no, I, I appreciate those kind words. Thank you very much. And it has been just amazing on my end. You're, you're great at what you do. I love the, I, like I said, I, I love the soothing voice. This has been fantastic. Um, but before we let you get out of here, I, I, I want to know, is there anything we didn't get a chance to cover uh, that you would like to leave listeners with?
0: All right. Well, thank you again. And again, it's really about just building relationships and reaching out to people. So if you want to learn more about the podcast or the CEO's compass, your guide to get back on track, please connect with me on the dropinceo.com website. That's D R O P I N CEO.com. You can find me more about the book, the podcast, and even if you just want to discuss you or somebody, you know, is going through change. It doesn't have to be difficult cult. I, the compass can help you get back on track and leave a lasting impact on the people you work with. So I would love to connect with you. Uh, those are my closing thoughts. Uh, and I can't wait to meet somebody in your audience. Thank you.
1: No, I, I love it. And again, uh listeners, those are all be in the show notes. So all you have to do is click the links and go right there and, and uh visit Deb's podcast, find out more about what she does. And uh, you know, thank you all for being with us for this last forty five minutes or so. Uh none of this is really worth it without you. Uh and we hope that we've made an impact on your leadership, uh, giving you some great resources, giving you some great feedback, and uh thank you for doing what you do, rating, subscribing, reviewing, sharing the show. Please do the same thing for Deb. Uh, It is a great show, and uh, you're going to love it just as much as you love this one. Um, You know how to reach out to me, burden.command at gmail.com. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, guest ideas, stories, whatever, reach out. Let me know. Uh, And thank you very much for your time. I know it's extremely valuable. I appreciate you choosing to spend it with us. And I look forward to speaking with y'all again in the next episode. Introducing the deep leadership podcast. Become a leader worth following. Subscribe today. Electricast. Hey guys, it's Miriam Love here, and I want to share something very special with you. Check out my new release, All In the Spanish Remixes,
0: out now on Electricast Records. And always remember, be love. Share love. All
1: love.
0: Available now wherever
1: you listen to music.